0: Well, hello, everybody. My name is Tony Godwin. Welcome to Catfish Cops.
1: Welcome to Catfish Cops. I'm Brandon Poor, and it's been a minute.
0: It has been a minute. It has been... Um, Two minutes. A couple of minutes. And so, first and foremost, I guess we, we owe our Patreon supporters a, a heartfelt sorry we didn't let you know that we were going to take a short little hiatus, because uh, we kind of never really know when we... Yeah. Or we never know
1: that? when we're going to be on hiatus. Usually it's like, we're going to take a few months in the summer to kind of simmer down. And it's also, it's because so hot.
0: It's like yeah, 800
1: degrees outside here.
0: But, I, you know, I don't want people to think like we've been on vacation because we, we have, we don't know what that word means. No, typically
1: our hiatus starts when we get so busy that it's like weeks betw- between recording. Yeah. And so that's not an excuse. It's an apology
0: yeah um, so we so, have been very, very busy. work has been um, yeah like what happened? crazy?
1: Why is it that school lets out and predators go crazy?
0: Yeah, well, I don't know. they don't take the summer break off like uh, we would hope but yeah
1: <laughs> so what's been going on?
0: Oh gosh, we've been a few places. We, we flew out to California. we conducted some training out there with some of our friends.
1: We have some training coming up in the fall. So mm-hmm. anyone that's in the Washington state, um, kind of surrounding areas of Seattle, will be there in yes. October and then we will be uh, in Alabama, Alabama. in yeah. the September, October range.
0: Yeah, I did a solo one uh, a couple weeks ago in Wyoming, which was kind of cool. I didn't really get to see much of it because I got in there a little late. The flight was a little messed up. But that was okay. But I bet the weather was better. The weather was great. Nighttime yeah. weather was really nice. Like perfect, fat guy-friendly weather. I, I loved it. So <laughs> that, that, but, I tried yeah. to tell my wife, we need to move here. She's like, what about the winters? No.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's. I love the winters. <laughs> do I? I would love to have snow somewhere. <laughs> um, we don't know what snow is. We know what ice is. Um, and so anyway, besides that, you're going to hear more about this in a moment. But we have the Crimes Against Children conference coming up.
0: Yeah, man, it's getting... It's getting close, and uh, all the things that we had discussed kind of off the podcast about needing to get done for like our booth that we have and things that we want to have on hand. Like, we talked about it months ago, and here we are a month out. And I'm like, uh oh, we need to get some stuff ordered, uh, so that we have it for our booth there. So, this will be a first for us. We're going to have a booth, uh, set up right next to the DCAC crew, and uh, going to be doing some cool live uh, person on the street interviews and catching some people's opinions about what they think about the conference and
1: cool case studies, cool workshops that they're going to. Basically, we're going to give you an inside glimpse to what happens at conference from the perspective of the people that are there attending and the people that are working. We're going to just try and talk to as many people as possible. So get ready. The fall will be a mixture of case studies and like anything conference related. So you may actually get to hear from people who are presenting. Yep. Um, our hope is to stop some of them. We've already got some interviews scheduled with people that are presenting, but also to give you uh, maybe like stop someone and say like, what What was your case study about? What did you learn? What did you do right? What did you do wrong? Tell our listeners what they can take away from this um, case study. So you're going to actually get kind of like a week's worth of stuff over six months or seven months time and it's going to be straight from the mouths of the experts working these things. Um, Hopefully. So you get to hear from us, uh, yeah. someone other than us. Also, the Stop Violence Conference uh, is at the end of mm. July, and I will be presenting with one of our um, cohorts there. So, Nice. If you're Where's going that, to that? That's in Hearst. Oh, um, okay. But we're doing a case study for uh, one that I did the forensics on. Nice. Um, but without further ado, you know. want, I'll let you do the honors.
0: So today is a a very, very special day. Very special day. We have been trying to get this interview for, oh my gosh.
1: Like a year and a half.
0: At least a year and a half.
1: Since we started this podcast.
0: Yeah, that's true because we are coming up on our two-year anniversary in August.
1: Yeah. So So, like six months after we started it, we are like, hey, you know who we need to have on. And then uh, we've mentioned it. We've called. I think we've actually put out on-air invites over and over again. We have.
0: But she's busy
1: enough that she's like, I didn't hear that. I don't know anything (laughs) about it.
0: That's the excuse we're going to let her take, and that's fine. But, you know, to get greatness, you got to wait and do your time. (laughs) And so uh, we are very excited. Wait, let me sing
1: the praises. Uh, So we have sung the praises before. Oh, many times. But now that I'm sitting across from her, I want her to know that it's genuine because it's not just blowing smoke. Um, We are going to introduce you to um, one of the coolest, smartest – um, nicest and most experienced people that we get to deal with in this world yeah. here in the Dallas area, especially in Texas, um, and kind of in this field of expertise. She's done everything. We're going to let you hear what all she's done, and you'll get to see why we're talking about that.
0: Tip of the spear, man. Tip of the spear. But I'm without
1: further ado, we introduce you to Irish Birch. Yeah, Welcome.
2: Oh, generous. <laughs> y'all are so generous thank you so much for having me here so so happy to be here
1: oh it's our pleasure we are um yeah we've been asking you to on uh, well let me tell this story we put out these invites i've talked to her kind of as we've you know sort of over the last year she's in a new role and then she came up and was like why am i the only person that hasn't been on the podcast (laughs) only person and i said you know that you're in control of the schedule right so all of a sudden it was like, okay. Then you know what? In true Irish fashion, it happened like one month after that conversation. It did. It was like it she just makes it happen. I gotta happen. say, like
0: uh you were the toughest one to get scheduled for the longest period of time in a close second with Bill Walsh. That really? guy was almost impossible.
1: Just because well but he's so great. Bill he was, was great. because he is so humble. It's like, oh, yeah. no one wants to hear from me. So for a long time, it was like he didn't want to do it because he didn't think anyone would want to listen to that. And then finally, he was like, fine, I'll do it. And then he's busy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yours crazy is just busy. busyness. She's always been very openly like, I'll I'll do it whenever. But your schedule... And, and our listeners are going to hear why. So we're going to talk about yeah, we have a lot who you are. To cover. Irish Birch. Irish a little crazy. Irish has been, I think you were running things when I came into child crimes. So that's eight years ago. And then Tony's, you know, started this back when, child crimes was invented on the planet
0: when when Moby Dick was a minnow and I was a case carrying guy and and you were always my forensic interviewer my favorite forensic interviewer I was like Irish please do my interview yeah I think you only did
1: one interview maybe for me because you were not doing interviews at the time I don't think maybe you didn't I I
2: came out of the room probably in 2000 transition 2009
1: 2010 oh then no you didn't do any interviews I know like Carrie did some Mm -hmm. and um Lindsay's done some so people mm-hmm. that you have heard on the podcast have done forensic interviews even though that's not their role but mm-hmm. you you were running uh, irish ran a tight ship she ran a tight yes. ship she ran staffings when i came as a child and and i'll tell you what the dream team was in place yeah and it was <laughs> it was daunting to come into a staffing as the new crimes against children detective and be like what am i doing and like And Irish did not allow for, that's the story I told her I was going to tell. Like we would be joking and talking and she'd be like banging on the table going, let's go guys. We got to get this done.
2: We had our fair share of fun. (laughs) We did. We have our fair share of jokes, but then I also know because I've heard behind the scenes when people come, they need to get back to work. So it's like, okay, let's do a little shenanigans and then let me get you back on track.
0: (laughs) The taskmaster,
1: which I think we need to do right now. Let's talk about you. Tell us about your background. Where where did you come from? Where did you start? Where did you, how did you get into this
2: field? You know what? I'm going to tell you a story that a lot of people really don't know about. And I really haven't spoke about it until I came into this actual position. Uh, junior in high school, I had the privilege of receiving a scholarship to go to junior college before I graduated high school. Now it's AP courses. Right, right. That's not what it was called back then. So during that time, I had to write an essay, my first true college essay. And I chose to write my college essay on child abuse. Oh,
0: really? And It is
2: so amazing to me. I don't know why. Well, I do know why I picked child abuse. You may not know this. My mom uh, in her history was a CPS worker. Oh, wow. So I I remember, yes, as a child, I remember, and now I know. Now that we know what we do, she wasn't supposed to do this. But I remember as a child, my mom bringing children home at different times. Like, I guess, I don't know she was transporting them. I don't know what she was doing. But she always made me know at a very young age that all children were not safe in their homes. Mm. And so I'm thinking that's why I selected child abuse. But I'll never forget, and I'm about to really date myself, uh, looking at an encyclopedia. Nice. And I was doing research. I was looking at encyclopedia and I saw a picture of a teenage boy on an autopsy table where they had split open uh, the back of his buttocks because he had been beat to death and he had bled into his muscles and Uh, died. And so from that point forward, I knew that I was going to go into this field. I lied to my mom when it Hmm. was time to go to college. I told her I was majoring in communications but i was majoring (laughs) in psychology and counseling i did a double major because she had always said she didn't want this life for me and so she says i know how hard it is you have a bleeding heart and so i don't want you to do this and so i went into the i went in did my thing in college. I majored in psychology and counseling and came out and I did what everybody else does. I go and I look for a job in the field. I started out working at City Place. It's a Mm -hmm. uh, shelter in Collin County while I was waiting to get hired by CPS. I had already applied for CPS when I first came out and just the process took so long. I started, finally started as a Child Protective Services investigator in 1994. Nice. Out of college ready to just go out and change the world. And my hat continues to be out to all <laughs> CPS workers out no there. No kidding. I had my fair share day of whew, mm, yeah. how can I continue to do this? Right. Uh, there were aspects of the job that you love. There were aspects of the job that you were challenged with. And I got my introduction to the CAC model. And when I was an investigator, I had to do a child care investigation um, at a day, local daycare against the only male employee that wow was employed there we received a sexual abuse allegation and i was told i had to go to the forensic uh to the children's advocacy center to do a forensic interview had never heard of a forensic interview, right. had no idea what that was, went over and was like, this is the best thing ever. Someone yeah. gets to sit down, they talk to this child in this most gentle way, but also able to gather this information that right. the disciplines, law enforcement, CPS, were able to use for our cases. And this child, you know, you saw this child come in and they're just bubbly and you see them just walking out, just holding the interviewer's hand. and. I was like, I want to do that. Yeah, right. A couple of weeks later, position came open and I applied for it. Really? Now That quickly? Here's what's interesting. So I applied for the job, but I actually really was liking my job. At this point in time, I actually was not in CPS. I was a child care licensing oh, investigator yeah, yeah. for abuse and neglect. We I, need
1: to differentiate the two. Tell us the yes. difference between CPS and child care
2: licensing. So Child Protective Services is going to do in-home investigations. Those are going to be the People when you're offended or harmed by the people who live in your home. Child care licensing is going to do any type of investigations that has to do in child care facilities, registered family home and actually unregistered family homes. So I had spent my career started out in 1994 and just transitioned into different positions at that point.
1: Yeah, like child care licensing does day cares and things day like that. Cares, and they tend yes. to be more like the investigators are there for longer periods of time right because you are more, you stay there for a longer
2: a period of time it's more specialized and it's not as many uh, right, it's not right. as many investigations as or ch- abuse and neglect investigations and t- sometimes not all the time sometimes the content is not as difficult the yeah. cases are not as severe some of them right. are uh, for sure right. but not what you see on a regular basis on in home uh, yeah. abuse cases so i i was working at child care licensing and I loved my team. I love my supervisor. I love my team. But myself and a coworker made the agreement that we were going to apply for the forensic interview role. I applied for the role. And literally, I kid (coughs) you not, guys, 15 minutes before the interview was supposed to start, I was still sitting in my office because I didn't want to (laughs) go. I was like, I'm happy. I don't want to go. But the only reason why I went is because that year I'd made a New Year's resolution that I had to finish every single thing I started, no matter what it was. That literally is the why I got up and went to the so interview. So you're that here,
1: because of a New Year's I'm
2: resolution. here because of a New Year's resolution? <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is why I'm here.
0: I'm thinking such an epic fail for me of how many I've shattered. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know how many
1: gym here. memberships have just sat by the wayside? <laughs> Thousands of dollars. I'm
2: here just because I said I was going to follow through. So yeah. I got up, went to the interview, panel interview of. Probably over 15 people. Really? I walked away saying, oh, I didn't get that job. <laughs> right. I, I, that was too much. I know they hated me. They called me before I got back to the office wow. and offered me the job and said that you are the one that the team. And at that time, you know, it's your detectives, your CPS workers, yeah. our ADA, our um Assistant District Attorney was there also, and then the CAC staff. Wow! And so it was just an honor, and it really did change my life. Coming into the CAC world really, really changed my life.
1: But you came from like, I mean, you were the benefit is you you didn't like hate what you're doing, and and honestly, you had a taste of it in CPS, mm-hmm. so you you kind of knew. And you know what you said about the forensic interview being like. In a gentle way. Like, I think people think it's a traumatizing thing. And that we speak about that forensic interview about, you know, and we've told parents this. We've told people that listen to this. They know, like, that is a magical thing that happens. Where a kid can, like, it's almost like they walk in with a bird and, and they walk out with it gone, right?
2: It is the most humbling job I have ever had in my life. I had parents that told me, he's not going to talk to you. She's not right. going to talk to you. I can barely get them to talk to you, talk to me about the situation. And when we would come back downstairs and they, that child would be holding my hand, that parent would be like, what magic did you work? Yeah. <laughs> it is, but it's what you said. It is when children come to us, a lot of times, and I know the audience might or might not know this, a lot of times when children are coming in for a forensic interview, they don't really know what is happening right. at that point. Yeah. All they know is that they told a teacher or they told someone that they felt could protect them, that someone was hurting them. Right. They didn't know that they will be probably have to leave school and be picked up and come to this different place and meet this perfect stranger. Yeah. That People have the misconception that, oh, this is a, oh, several interviews and you meet the person. No, you meet that child that one time. And when that child comes into that room and you have the ability to make them feel so comfortable that they say, in, within themselves that it's okay to share their burden mm. with you, right. you owe it to that child to pick it up and take it with pride. And yeah. that's what we do. That's what every single forensic interviewer does. That forensic mm. interviewer sits, we create that environment, you help that child to feel comfortable, and you magnify their right. voice. You allow them to get their story out in a way that the abuse can stop, mm. that yep. they can feel safe, and that they can feel heard. So I'm, I'm gonna
1: need some tissues. Today. I was gonna say, like Good you know, from brave. the
0: from our perspective of being at that time behind the glass, mm-hmm. watching um, and seeing just a child coming in, scared, nervous, mm-hmm. sometimes upset, um, to just be empowered, to and brave, to mm-hmm. come forward and say all that in such a seemingly kind of short amount of time. Mm-hmm. There's there's magic. Um, th- it, there's magic. Yeah. There. There's got to mm-hmm. be some magic dust floating around somewhere, but um, because we've had parents say that before,
1: like they're not going to tell anyone, like they have told me stuff, but they won't tell anyone but this, Mm -hmm. but, but me this. And I'm like, okay, well let us try. And it's always amazing because they go in there and they tell things that they would have never told their parent. And it's like, it's a perfect stranger, which is honestly part of the magic, right? Mm -hmm. It's a perfect stranger who knows how to ask. But like,
2: what parents, I think what parents miss in that type of situation is even as young as their children are, our children always want to protect us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They, that this perpetrator has groomed them. They've told them tons and tons of things. And so that child is not going to tell you everything. Right. They want to protect you also. Yeah. They don't want to see you crying. They don't right. want to see you hurt. They don't want all of the horrible things that the perpetrator lied and said what happened. They don't want those things to happen. So you're not going to know the information. It is really our responsibility. To create that environment for children.
1: So you came into the CAC arena model. In ninety
2: four, two thousand and three. Oh, okay, so, so ninety four was... to uh, nineteen ninety four. I was at CPS. Gotcha. Two thousand and three is when I started. At the week of the conference wow. was my first really? week on the job. I wow. was like, "What is happening?" But in
1: CAC, <laughs> you were introduced to CAC when you came into CPS, though. I was
2: introduced, but only really towards those last years. Yeah. So when I first learned about the CAC, it was that was the place that really only investigated child deaths so that is the reputation that initially the CAC had you only went over there when you had a child death that's
1: a huge change then Mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely so 2000 ish like that's you know we've we've talked about the CAC and the forensic interview process and all of this this um MDT process so so long I'm sure our listeners are like yes again (laughs) MDT we've heard it but I think that we think oh it's been there for You know, a hundred years, and it's not. I mean, Mm -hmm. twenty-two years, things have changed drastically. It's
2: changed drastically.
1: Yes, it just struck me that twenty-two years ago was two thousand, and it Mm -hmm. feels like you know that's nineteen seventy was twenty-two years ago. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's how I feel. And
2: the model is ever evolving.
1: Yeah. So you started in the forensic interview process. What was, what was it like then versus what it is like now? Not forensic interview because you're not an interviewer. So, but what's the overall like? how i want to we haven't got to where you are now mm-hmm. cuz mm, you guys ready get ready hold on it's coming but what was like wh- what you know now of the whole CAC in general? What was the what was the vibe like then?
2: Mm-hmm. It is so different when we started, or when we were working cases initially, as the younger uh, crowd. You didn't have a lot of the extenuating circumstances that we have today. The online world was not as robust as it is today. You, we literally focused a lot. Our main thing was really helping people to understand that stranger danger was not truly your major thing you needed to be concerned about. We spent all of our time really educating the community on understanding that a lot of times that, well, we know over 90% of the times the perpetrator is someone that the child knows and loves. But now in this world, the crossover, so many more people have access to your children that if you're not careful, you might not be aware of. And to be perfectly honest, the new dynamic that I am really worried about more than anything is we have our mandate reporters as teachers and we know our teachers have a lot on their plate i am worried in the current landscape that we're in that we're asking them to still do all of these things with educating the children keeping the children safe from outside external factors coming into the schools but also how will you still have the time and attention to be able to notice that guess what that straight a student their grades have dropped that that student that you actually used to be real vibrant has now become really just inclusive and not really talking to anybody. We're not giving them the space to do that anymore. So what does that mean? Because we know if our kids don't feel safe enough to tell someone or feel like there's someone they can reach out to, we're going to have kids stuck in home with perpetrators. So it's such a different landscape. This is the only model to investigate child abuse cases. And I know your listeners probably might be worn out with MDT, but I'm not the person to be <laughs> on here if you are, because I will tell you the CAC model and the MDT model is the only and the best way to work these cases because we are you get the value from the different perspectives. And I know some CACs and some MDTs and law enforcement folks and CPS people might be, well, my people are just doing all of the different things and they want to talk about all of the different things. But guess what? This is what I'll say. When I used to train uh, MDTs and I used to train as a forensic interviewer, I would always tell people if you tell me that your MDT is not having any conflict and oh, we get along, I'm going to tell you you're letting kids fall through the cracks. Because you're not willing to have the hard conversation in yep. the different of opinion. And and that's why you're at the table. I need law enforcement's perspective. I need CPS's right. perspective. I want the different lens to make sure that we don't let that kid fall through the cracks. Right. And if we're not careful in this current landscape, we can be so busy with all of the different external things yep. that our kids are going to start to suffer. And that is the thing that is keeping me up at night. How can we still collaborate how can we still provide the resources that everybody needs in order to still logistically come to the table so we can do right by kids?
1: And that's, I think that it was a huge change with COVID mm-hmm. because we went from like overnight almost, we went yeah. to, oh my gosh, lockdown. Yep. And then it was online. And so all of this stuff changed. Like, I mean, think about this. My my kids are just sort of transitioning into different age groups as far Mm -hmm. as like middle school and things like that. Like my older daughter didn't get to experience some of the transitioning that my younger daughter to Mm -hmm. middle school and stuff, because we were not doing anything for like two or two and a half years. Right. And now like almost seemingly as overnight as that began now, it's like everyone's so ready to get back into it that we've just launched back in Mm -hmm. and it's full steam ahead with busyness and new, new hurdles that we didn't know before. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what you like the teacher thing is huge because we're it's asking huge. a lot, and that's really yeah. where a majority of outcries are coming that's from.
2: Where right? I, that's where majority of our referrals come from. From our yeah, Monday and they're reports. so
0: already just overworked yes. and underpaid, yes. and they're the, they're appreciated. The cops of the school. I'm just telling <laughs> you, really, like they I, are
2: all those things.
0: Yeah, when you just. You know, when you have to engage with one of those teachers who's had to come forward to talk about, you know, hey, this is what this child said or whatever, like you can just see it in their faces, like the amount of time and effort and hours and just personal investment and family sacrifice. I'm like, I don't know how they do it. Like yes. they're sent from heaven. I
1: have a family of teachers. My wife is, a, is was a teacher and like people go, oh, you get the summers off. It's and I'm like, you don't realize she says it too. You are working. A lot during the summer and you're you're paying out of your own pocket for supplies and for time mm-hmm. is coming out of your family's time and so like they are truly sacrificing absolutely everything absolutely and to throw this i mean that's I, what people should know is if you don't teachers are our like number one re- reporters they because kids feel yep. they're your kids are with the teachers eight hours a day Mm-hmm. They feel safe with, mm-hmm. with teachers and counselors and things, people in the school system. And so they feel like that's the place that they can come forward. And now we're asking more of
0: them. We're asking yeah. more of them. You know, even in the early days when you were a forensic interviewer and things, even things have evolved from then because, like, I don't – it may have been this way. I just don't remember the, the focus on the MDT process so – Pointed, uh, back then in the early days as it very much is now and needs to be it, it probably was there i just I, you know i don't know i just took it as like the evolution of kind of where it began um, and what that whole process is i know that it existed because there was all the other components that mm-hmm. would be offered to kids and whatnot but uh it was and, in
1: full swing when i came in like because you were uh, well let's go on <laughs> forensic interviewer then what?
2: Then I was actually the chief. When you talk about me facilitating <laughs> staffing, chief partner relations officer. So it was.
1: That's who she was when I came in, <laughs> and she was in charge. But we had this really cool team of detectives, yes. and we had a great district attorney, oh my god, liaison, and a great medical liaison, yes. and shout out to matt and aaron
2: i know know. (laughs) they're probably not they they don't know about this but oh my god we
1: had this great team of people and it was like everything we can't i looked forward to staffings because we came forward like we were kicking butt Mm -hmm. i mean cases were were talk about that
2: it is it is amazing so when i took that oh we had probably i think we were probably at about 27 different uh, partner agencies at that point in time. MDT was probably about 450 strong when I was in that position. And the objective is because you have so many different disciplines, so many different SOPs, timeframes, statues, and those different things. Dallas CAC (coughs) was one of actually the first Uh, CAC in the world to really have one position that was focused specifically just on the MDT. So you've had people that have focused on the MDT in the past, but they had multiple positions. Uh So even when I first started, once I was a forensic interviewer, supervised the forensic interview team for a number of years, and then I was then put in the position of managing staffing before you came because we're in the old house. So managing staffing and still managing the forensic interview team. Then I elevated into this position. And one of the things that our partner said to us at that point is we need someone to sit at the table with all of the rest of the different disciplines, but to represent us Mm -hmm. instead of it just everybody telling us what to do and no one really focused on what's happening and the barriers that we might face right we need somebody to be our voice and that's how that position was born
0: because did the did the staffing things I remember early on back when it was in the little house and everything I remember on really serious ones there would be some staffing cases Mm -hmm. and maybe I just wasn't part of those with the caseload that I had or whatever but once the transition from the old house to the new building Mm -hmm. then it was like once you were running the show With all the MDT stuff Then they were like Always regular And you were scheduled Like you knew And and so there, it, I don't know I just don't so remember it so much
2: So what you're thinking about Is when we were In the old home We actually only had Regular staffing More so for Dallas Police Department So uh, well. the, Because they were housed with us So we had a regular staffing For them And before that Unless you had a real Difficult case right. We didn't have regular staffing right. For external cases So that's when we started To pull of that together. Yep. It uh Having staffing for external cases and not only just external, but then we also had uh IFACT, uh, Urban Family Advocacy Center, right. where we would also go over there. None of that was existent when we were in the old building. Okay,
0: yeah. Because yeah. I thought, I was like, you know, I... really
2: I've, only got called when you, we were like, oh, hold on. Yeah, yeah. Talk about- <laughs> if it
0: was like some real big deal, you're <laughs> when like, when you oh, screwed wait, up is what she means. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. I, <laughs> I need we some got help. We too
2: many irons in the fire on this one. Like, <laughs> yeah. we really got to come together on the front end. And then yeah. that also was a part of Aaron uh, Price transition into that role, Matt, Dr. Cox came in. And so we started to think of, you know what, how can we do things a little bit more differently? We went as a team, all the executive um, leadership or senior managers at that team time went off to Austin to say, What what are we missing? Like, how are we doing this? What's going good? Because this is what I know your CAC and your MDT partners will think about. Nobody likes staffing. We already know. (laughs) (laughs) Let me just say we already know. A lot of people, majority of the people that you survey are going to say they do not like staffing. They don't have time to come to staffing. But really what you have to do is make sure that you're talking to your team to determine that people are getting what they also need out of staffing. Right. Do you want to just come and recount the things that you've talked about in the hall and everybody knows? No, but we do need to make sure that we are all aligned in how we're moving forward with service in serving that family and to make sure everybody has the information. Right. And so we decided we got to figure out and have these conversations about how to make this better. And that was one of the things that came out of it is, wait, we're talking about DPD cases, but what about all of these other cases? They deserve the right to benefit from this camaraderie. And here's what I'll tell you works so differently for y'all staffing is – It is so amazing to see, because everybody has their perception of how they think law enforcement might interact and all of these different things. But when y'all come in with all this various uh, different you... Well, different cities, I'm not going to mention, but you have a variety of cities from Dallas coming into this one staffing. It is such a learning opportunity. You are so collaborative amongst each other. It's like, can I help you do this? Oh, wait, you think they may cross over here? Then we can do this. It is such a collaborative event. So it is a way to benefit from it, as well as from a professional standpoint, as well as ensuring that we're doing with our kids. And that's what we recognize was missing.
0: Yeah. And that was that was a. such a welcome thing, like Mm -hmm. from that move from the little house to the new place. um, Because there were times when there were some like very challenging kind of cases and, you know, I may not have known, oh, I need to follow up with this or follow up with that. Now, you guys were always still really good to say, hey, you know, maybe we should try to slide this in, even though it wasn't so formal, but to actually sit into one of the, Mm -hmm. I remember one of the first staffings and all of the components that were there and all of the people, um like it was just a learning thing for me like wow like this is good to hear you know I can take all this stuff back and really kind of formulate a plan that everybody's in agreement with and that's when I started to really buy into it because mm-hmm. honestly and I've talked about it here on the show um I I wasn't such a fan of it in the early stages it just you know, it was, it was what it was. Um, well, I was it was a, another time. Thing yeah. It was like, just right. a difference of the way mm-hmm. things were done. And so I didn't really think of it in that context, but you know, once you're exposed to it and you see it and you see how well it works and it meshes together and you have someone in leadership who keeps the task at hand going, like, I mean, it's amazing. It's well, amazing.
1: And, it, and the collaboration, I think that's the, the best description. You, you You just described something that <laughs> I don't think I've put into words before, which is like law enforcement. I think people think about law enforcement and I'm sure you, you get a picture when you think law enforcement, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's probably that person who's coming up to stop you for speeding or Mm -hmm. whatever. But in this case, you actually have detectives who care about these cases and sometimes sadly, and I'm sure this is across the country. Sometimes the detective may be the only person or it well and, and I know that in the MDT as well, but from the start, I've had cases where look, the parents don't want anything to do with the case. The poor kid's been abused. Mm-hmm. Um, and the it seems like I'm the only person as a detective who's like pushing forward to get this kid some help and mm-hmm. justice and and basically to try and work this case. Mm-hmm. Sometimes almost sometimes there are sometimes that you're working it against The parents and the family like you're the only one who's pushing for this kid's well-being and it seems like other people are pushing against you Mm -hmm. and so i think that's something that and i can only speak that's why i'm speaking from law enforcement perspective is that that some you know we actually care about these cases and you come in and then there's this really cool collaboration where you get because not everyone does things the same tony's agency and my agency are very similar, but they don't do it exactly the same. There are some agencies who do it completely differently yeah, than we do, but we come in and it's like, Hey, I really like the way you guys do this. And I'm gonna, and I, that's, I, I didn't plan on saying this here, but that's one of the things that I've, I think we've talked about in my office is like the big downfall or the big detriment to online staffings. Yes. was there wasn't that in person yes. collaboration?
0: Yeah, right. The,
2: you cannot negate the in person connection because it is so critical that you are able to actually see someone mm-hmm. and that is the person that you can look at and there is no, there's no wondering about what they meant or what right. they said or what they yeah. did One of the greatest detriments to this model is when people make perceptions. They start to tell themselves this narrative of what you think, why someone did or did not do something. And like you just said, you sometimes were the only person that could advocate for that kid or that was wanting to move that case forward. And we just, we make these assumptions of, oh, okay, well, he's not calling me back or she's not calling me back. They don't care about kids. No, there's a thousand things going on. And when you are not in person, we, I know we just switched back to Mm -hmm. the in-person staffings. And I was the one that, it was like, OK, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when we <laughs> coming <kill> back, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, they were like, well, you're not in there. I'm like, mom, but but I know the value because yep, here's yeah. what everybody needs to understand. Your MDT, everything that happens in your staffing, it is reflective of what's happening in your MDT. Yeah. If you're sitting in staffing and nobody knows what's going on, you got two people working a case and they don't know. Law enforcement's not talking to CPS. Nobody's talked to medical. If they don't know what's going on. Because that's what's happening in your MDT. Yeah. You got an issue. You have a communication issue. And that's you can only determine those things when you're in person. We are really experiencing right now at DCAC, really not necessarily the backlash only because that's such a negative word, but we are we are seeing the effects yeah. of what COVID did for our MDT and literally going yep. into FY23, we have to be extremely strategic as to how do you bring back the people. You got some people that started in the MDT during COVID, yeah. so yeah. that's all they know. They're like, what do you mean we need to be in person? Right. Because you once you're in that room and you're able to, and I know people can say, oh, you need to be innovative and all oh, we have, all of these different things. But that may work for certain fields, but when you're talking about yeah. child abuse.
1: That's not innovation. That's yeah. just laziness honestly with this with this model
2: exactly when you now Trent I will say this there are certain times that there might be a time where okay these are less critical cases. These are things that we need to just do a couple checkpoints on. Yeah. But for the majority of the time, right. I need to sit across the table yeah. and I need to see you right. when we talk about that case. I need you to be able to ask anybody in that room, what they thought about that case and what right. they might have to share, because it is all of that, that we need in order to make sure yeah. families get the full yeah. round of service. Cause there
1: are a lot of times where it, I may not have had a case in staffing, but I was there mm-hmm. And you hear someone else saying something, and you're like, oh, I've already done that. Mm -hmm. This is what I did, and it worked. Mm -hmm. Or this is what I did, and it didn't work. And so throwing that out at a time, even when, because if you're in online, maybe it's like, I don't have a case, I'm not going to be there. Mm -hmm. Versus like, hey, everyone's going, we're going to staffing, we're in person. And I'm like, I'm listening, even though I don't have a case to staff, I'm here. I'm going to chime in and give you my
0: my war story of. Exactly. And that's one of that the things, maybe our, our listeners don't really kind of grasp that, but <clears throat> those staffings are just that, just like you just said. Yeah. You may not have that, mm-hmm. but you're there as a representative from your own agency and you can offer guidance and input. It's that buy-in. That's the whole thing that you take away mm-hmm. from it. You I buy into what everybody has to offer and it, it's just so much better. On a I just realized note. they may
1: not know what staffing is. When we say staffing, mm-hmm. all of the <clears throat> MDT comes together They bring their cases, and then we read, like, this is how the case started. This is what the details of the case are. And then Irish, in that position, as the the partner relations, would be like, all right, tell us what the forensic interview did. Exactly. Uh, Next, what have you done medical? Okay, CPS, what are you doing? DA's office is saying, hey, these are what we need for a case prosecution. And those are the things that everyone brings. And then you get the chime-ins of, like, you know the DA is like, hey, have you tried this? Mm-hmm. And then the medical is like, oh, we know that that injury is caused from this.
2: Or and the family advocate is like, oh, did you know that mom mentioned this as she was going out the door that she actually huge. really didn't believe the kid? We're like, wait a minute.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. But the, I mean, we
2: also can't forget the education factor because right. I know when we were doing it, Dr. Cox and I know Dr. Daigle, I, I used to joke about it, but it was so true. Everybody in our MDT could tell you how a child could and could not get an STD yeah. because yep. of the. Education factor. Yeah. We knew they would teach us. Let me get up and show you this X-ray of this subdural hematoma. Let me show right. you these pictures of this burn. This is why it's not a dipping burn or a, a dunking burn. Right. This is why it it is this and that. Like it was, it is such yeah. an educational tool that yep. you will be exposed to, and it'll help you on that cage. You know that baby didn't get a subdural hematoma from falling from a couch rolling onto a carpeted floor. That's oh, not. That's not gonna right. work.
1: That killer couch has killed more kids yeah. in the world the
2: killer
1: counts. that we joke about that because that's always the explanation but the, you nailed it there as far as the edu- that's one thing that i try and say to the younger detective the people in our offices like yeah. that's why tony and i talk so much about the psychology of offending mm-hmm. and the process of you know like the process of healing and restoration and therapy and things like that because we were always surrounded by Therapy, psychology, medical, um, DA's office. So like we just had that education all the time. And I don't think it, maybe it doesn't happen as much with COVID stopping everything. So we just got, it was like we went to a mini lecture every staffing. So we understood the dynamics of child abuse. Mm -hmm. Every week we got a different kind of teaching. And so, but it really makes you like, you really start to understand, hey, child abuse is this whole beast that is, is- is yeah. specific to these cases. Yes, It's not just policing. It's not just detective worker investigations. It's not just a, a doctor. You can't take your kid to a pediatrician and say, has my kid been abused? Because a pediatrician doesn't deal with this. Mm-hmm. It has to be someone who's Specialized in this, right? It's not
2: just people that are looking to make your lives miserable. It really is people that genuinely care about children and do our due diligence to investigate these cases thoroughly and fully and ensure that the family have their services that they need. Like we, it is a full wraparound services that nobody in this space takes lightly.
1: Yeah. And I think that other fields of investigation have sort of seen the benefit. So mm-hmm. you're starting to see domestic violence yes. do this approach yeah. and um, sexual uh, assault cases of non-familial, non-related adult yes. cases start to look at like, hey, this might actually be the way we can work all of these different crimes in a more thorough way and in a more human, empathetic way, right? That yes. we can get yeah. people help. Yes.
2: They know my, everybody knows me, knows my saying is we are better together. Yeah.
1: We yeah, are absolutely. better
2: when we are working together in a collaborative effort.
1: Well, we've only gotten to like 2014 with Irish, and we still have like eight years, nine years left. Um, And, you know, you're going to hear, if you haven't heard the wisdom that's coming from her today, then you're not listening. Go back and restart this episode because you're about to hear a whole bunch more. Um, So thank you. We will be back next week with more
0: Irish Birch. Thank you for listening to the Catfish Cops podcast, brought to you by Brandon Poor and Tony Godwin. For additional information and available resources, please visit our website, www.catfishcops.com, and click on the resources link.